0: You guys need to keep Bradley. He does a great job. And personally, I think Christianity is exciting. I think it's fun. I think it is something to be happy about. And I think Bradley does a great job of getting that across in the singing. He is smiley and looks enthused about what he's doing and I am thrilled to have gotten to take a part in that singing. Barry Binion is one of the nicest guys I know. In all honesty, one of the nicest men I know. that I have been talking to Barry for years and years and there's not one thing that I've ever gotten from Barry that would go against the idea that he is one of the nicest, kindest individuals that there is. And you guys are lucky to have him. Now if you wanted to, you could first listen to this Anecdote. A couple of guys that were dressed up in robes and they were holding a sign beside the road that said the end is near. We had a couple hotshot lawyers that were driving this red convertible sports car and they saw these guys that were holding this sign that said the end is near and they looked over and they read it and they said, man, those religious crackpots, they're always trying to tell people something about the end of the world. Right about the time they said that, they drove off the cliff because the bridge was out. <laughs> and the man that was holding the sign looked at his friend and said, you think we should change our sign to bridge is out instead of end is near? But we hear stuff about the end of time on a regular basis, especially from the greater Christian world, about the rapture, about the second coming of Christ, about Armageddon, about the Antichrist, and things of that nature. In fact, there's a website. I think it's it's interesting. The the website is called Rapture Ready. And there is an index that they call the Rapture Index. And right now, in October of 2017, the Rapture Index is sitting at 184. Now, it goes from 0 to about 200. And the index is supposed to tell you how close or how almost about to happen the rapture is and now if it's down at 50 probably not a good chance of the rapture happening if it's down at 60 but if it gets up close to 184 the highest it's ever been is about 188 and i think that was back in 2014 and and you can look and see when the highest the rapture ready index ever was and here's what they do they give things a, a score and they say false Christ is at a three right now. The score goes all the way up to five. False Christ is at a three. The occults at a three. Unemployment actually a lot of people kind of have jobs, so it's only at a two. But let's see debt and trade—that's at a five. And so they go through and give all these scores to tell you how possible it might be that the rapture is going to happen today. What defense at one eighty-eight? We're then going to have the rapture. What about 190? But 192? And just incidentally, what is the rapture anyway? And so what we're going to do is we're going to go through a 18-minute crash course on the end of time. And we're going to see what's going on here. There's an idea called dispensational premillennialism. Okay, Now, a couple of you wake up that just went to sleep in the course of me saying those two words, right? Because they're polysyllabic, they're really, really long, and most of us have no idea what they mean. We might have heard premillennialism. But dispensational premillennialism, we probably hadn't heard one thing about that, don't even know what's going on. Here is the definition or an understanding of dispensational premillennialism. There's an idea going around in greater Christian circles and what I'll say I would say denomination but not necessarily there are even some members of the church that believe this that because God created the world in six days and rested one day seventh day then there is going to be six days of the world lasting and the seventh day the Lord is going to come again sometime then they go over to Second Peter chapter 3 where it says with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years it says one day and so then they say, alright, if a thousand years is as one day, and God created everything in six days and then rested the seventh day, then how long is the world going to be around? Well, they're going to say it's going to be around four. This is a little hot, isn't it? This is a little bit. Get a little closer? I'm not sure that's going to solve our problem. I was thinking maybe farther. We could drop. What about that now i can use this one the truth is these two seem to be at odds here you know, i'll tell you what take this and let me try that up okay okay what about that this will be fine all right so it's the idea that all right god used six days and rested the seventh day and they take literally that a day is a thousand years over in second peter and so they say so you're going to have a seven thousand year period of time And then they do some calculations from Genesis 5 and 11 and they say, we're in the 7,000th year, period. They wouldn't say it's 7,000 years yet, 6,500, 6,000, whatever. And so they say, sometime in this next period, the 7,000th year, the Lord's going to come back. But then, so that's the dispensation, dispensationalism. That's the 1,000-year dispensations. Then the premillennialism is pre meaning coming before millennial meaning thousand year and so the premillennial is but there's going to be a time when Jesus comes back and the Christian excuse me on this earth reign for a thousand years and then the third time Jesus is going to come back and set it all right and the kingdom is going to be on this earth for a thousand years before he does it so dispensational means we're in the seventh thousandth year period, like it 6,300, 6,500. And premillennial means that Jesus is going to come back, set up an earthly kingdom before everything's done. And it's going to last a thousand years. So, that's probably what you've heard, and what's tacked on to that is the idea of the rapture. Now, maybe you've seen a bumper sticker. I don't know if you've seen this. And you might have seen the movie about this with Kirk Cameron. What was the name of that? Left Behind, which was a motion picture of the Tim LaHaye, Jeremy Jenkins, million bestseller series, Left Behind. And there'll be a bumper sticker that says, in case of rapture, this car will be driverless. Now, here's what they mean by that. Supposedly, there's going to be a 7,000-year period where God calls up all the Christians that are faithful to him at the time called the rapture but everybody that's left here will have another 7 years to get right with god if they want to be in the earthly kingdom so let's say that we're thinking like that let's say you're at your job and one day you got three people at the office that just disappear <laughs> okay you should know enough about end times they think To understand, okay, that's the rapture. Now you got seven years to get right. And if you'll get right in those seven years, then you'll get to be a part of the thousand-year kingdom. But if you don't get right in those seven years, then when the kingdom comes in, you won't get to be a part of it. And so the rapture is the idea that people who are righteous get sucked up just immediately, whether they're flying a plane, whether they're driving a bus, whether they're sitting in traffic, wherever they are, boom, they're going to be gone. And then there's going to be seven years, and then the millennium is going to happen. Now, let's think about why this is presented the way it is. Lots of times, people don't get down to the bottom of why in the world would you teach that there's going to be an earthly thousand-year kingdom. Here's why. When you go back to the Old Testament, there is a lot of information about Jesus coming to establish a kingdom. You'll probably remember in Daniel chapter 2 when King Nebuchadnezzar has that dream and he has the dream and it's a really weird dream about a statue that the head is made of gold, the chest is made of silver, and goes down to bronze and then clay and iron are in the feet. And he says he's not going to tell anybody what the dream means. And he's not going to tell he doesn't know what the dream means but he's not even going to tell anybody what he dreamed. And the wise men have to come and tell him the dream and then tell him what it means. Well, of course the wise men can't tell him the dream because they don't really have any what powers that would, you know, help that. So he starts killing them. He says, "Well, if you can't tell my dream, I'm kill everybody that can't tell my dream." Daniel prays, God tells him the dream and then God tells him the meaning of the dream. And he says, he says, "That big rock that rolls out of heaven, I mean rolls out of the mountain cliff, smashes into the statue and smashes the statue into pieces. The statue is a series of kingdoms. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the golden head. After you, there's going to come a silver kingdom. After you, there's going to be the bronze, etc. And then in the days of these kings, of the iron and clay, God's going to establish a kingdom not made with hands and it's going to grow and fill the whole earth. So the Old Testament talks a lot about God establishing a kingdom. Now, next question. Who in the Old Testament is presented as reigning on the throne of the kingdom? You go to Isaiah, and it says there's going to be someone who is born, a child is going to be born, and he is going to be called Wonderful Counselor, and the government's going to rest on his shoulders, and he's going to sit on the throne of David, and of his kingdom, there will never be an end. Never be an end. So, the Old Testament tells you that a kingdom's coming, and it explains to you that the Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David in the kingdom. So then Jesus shows up. And what is Jesus preaching while He's on this earth? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, if you are looking at the Old Testament and you listen to the prophecy that the Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David and is going to have a kingdom that knocks out all the worldly kingdoms. The Greek kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, the Roman Empire, it's going to be bigger than all those other kingdoms. And you're thinking about the throne of David. David was in the United Kingdom of Israel. He had people that basically, he was in charge of the whole place from the area all the way on that side of the river. So what kind of kingdom are you looking for? We're looking for a huge earthly kingdom that is going to be established by Jesus. Now here's where your premillennial dispensationalism biblically just can't stand up. Supposedly, the Jews weren't ready for Jesus. And when He came to establish the kingdom, they rejected Him like they rejected Moses. Remember when Moses thought that they were going to follow him? You read about it in Acts especially 7. And he thought that they were going to recognize him as the leader, but they didn't. So he goes out to Midian for 40 years and stays there until he's 80 years old, and then God comes and brings him back. Well, the premillennial idea is that Jesus came to establish the kingdom, but the Jews didn't accept him. And so, because he didn't get his kingdom established then, there had to be something that took over that would hold the place of the kingdom until he got back. And so the idea is presented that the church is a stopgap measure. It's plan B. That's not what God really wanted done, but the Jews thwarted the kingdom efforts that Jesus presented, and so they killed him. He didn't get to establish the kingdom. Didn't get to establish the kingdom. And so he's going to come back and do it later. Now the question to us is, is that what the Bible presents? Does the Bible suggest to us that Jesus' kingdom didn't really get done? And we're going to see that no, that's not what the Bible suggests. In fact, it's not what the Bible teaches at all. Go to your Bibles if you got them. You might not. Well, if you do, good. If you don't, I'm trying to give you biblical stuff that you already know just to give you a summary of this stuff. But maybe you'll remember in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus comes in the recessory of Philippi and He says, Who do men say that I am? And they say, Well, some say you're John... Is that 16 Matthew? That's 18, isn't it? I'm about to look it up. I'm real good at telling you where it is on the page in my Bible, just not what chapter it is. Alright, yes. Right exactly where I thought it was. Right in the middle of the right-hand, left-side page. Alright. 16, starting verse 13. Who do men say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? He says to His apostles. Remember what Peter says? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father who is in heaven. And I'm going to give you the keys of the... What did he say? Keys. keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth... Now, this doesn't come across in your English translations very good, but what that really should say is whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth has already been loosed in heaven. Now, what in the world does it mean that God gave Peter the keys of the kingdom? Now, hold that thought, and I want you to turn over in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. You look in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to get this idea of what it means that they were given the keys of the kingdom. Look in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Now that's past tense. He has delivered us out of the rule of darkness and translated us into the what? Kingdom. So were the the Colossians who were now Christians translated into the kingdom already? Well, hold on just a second. The premillennial idea says, no, the kingdom hadn't been set up yet. There's going to be a thousand year reign. That's when it's going to get set up. But do you know if you read your Bible and ask the simple question, when was the kingdom established? What you find out is that in Acts chapter 2, the Bible talks about the kingdom coming all the way up to the point of Acts chapter 2. It looks at it as future. Remember Jesus said, the kingdom is at hand. But from Acts chapter 2 on, after that, it talks about the kingdom already having been established, so that the Colossians were already in the kingdom. Now, what's it mean that God gave Peter and the apostles the keys of the kingdom, so whatever they bind on earth will already have been bound in heaven? It's pretty easy to understand, not hard, really. When the people came to Peter on the day of Pentecost after he preached that first recorded gospel sermon, they said, What do we do? To do what? To get into the kingdom. Well, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is you, your children, as many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So how did they get into the kingdom? Well, Peter had been given the keys to unlock the door to everybody, the Jews, and then chapter 10 to the Gentiles to get them into the kingdom. It's not that whatever Peter said, that's how it happened. This stuff had already been established in heaven. Peter was giving them the inspired plan from God as to how God was going to add them to the kingdom. Because there in Acts chapter 2, it says, now as many as obeyed, the Lord Himself added them to the church slash kingdom. Now, here's where the premillennial idea absolutely falls apart. I want you to go to Acts 2. And let's look at... The fact that the church was not a stopgap and God wasn't surprised at the Jewish reaction to Jesus. It's not as if God somehow thought that they were going to accept Jesus and then, oh, wow, they didn't. Okay, now what am I going to do? That's not what went on. Now that's the idea presented to us, but that's not what happened. I want you to look in verse 23 of Acts chapter 2. And let's read it. Talking about Jesus. Him being delivered by the... Now listen close. Determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. He was delivered by the what? Determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. Was it surprising to God that the Jews crucified Jesus? No. In fact, not only was it not surprising, but the text said it was the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. He knew it was going to happen. So we need to ask this question. Was the church a stopgap plan B measure to take up space until the real kingdom was established? because Jesus didn't get his job done no because God knew what the Jews were going to do so how long has the church been in God's plan now you guys know the answer to this I think but I'm going to take you over Ephesians and I'm going to let you read it yourself turn in your Bibles to Ephesians and we're going to start there in chapter 1 and we're going to just see how long the church has been in God's plan for humanity look right there in verse chapter 1 and let's start in verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having been made known to us having made known to us the wisdom of his, the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. Now, notice what that's saying right there. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together everyone in Christ. What's He saying there? That this was in God's plan, and as you read Ephesians chapter 1, from eternity, it was in God's mind before time ever even started. So the idea that somehow, hey, sure wish Jesus would have gotten His job done, but the Jews just thwarted His mission, and so there had to be a plan B, and the church was it. The church was never plan B. And the idea that there's going to be a thousand-year kingdom and there's going to be a seven-year rapture before that, that is all a misunderstanding of the books of Revelation and especially Matthew chapter 24 and some things like that. Now, let me tell you what I think is the best material ever put out on this for a popular level. Several years ago, I was working at AP and people write in and say, Hey, what about the millennium? What about the rapture? What about all this stuff? And I hadn't done a whole lot of work on it at the time myself, so I started doing some research, and I found Mac Lyons' little book that's put out by Publishing Designs out in uh, over there in Huntsville. And this is a series of about thirteen sermons that he gave on in the search of the Lord, in search of the Lord's Way program. And he's very, very good at getting a point across, and he. Writes those sermons on a popular level because there are like 65 million people that watch it every Sunday. And so it's real easy to understand and he makes the points real clear. So I bought probably 20 of these and in the course of my time at AP have probably given away, shipped out whatever, I'm going to say 100 and 150 of them. Because anybody that asks me a question about any end time subject, I just send them this book. Now I've got this book out there. I don't publish it. I don't make any money off of it. It's, not, it's just a book that answers this stuff really, really well. You can read a chapter in probably about 13 minutes. And it has good answers to virtually every idea of the rapture, antichrist, premillennial, Armageddon, etc. that you'll need. But let's get what I think to a point that, that especially Barry and I were talking about the other day. Okay, there are a lot of wrong ideas about the end times. The taking literally of certain numbers in Revelation and not taking literally other stuff and confusing what's going on in there and the idea of the end. Lots of that gets jumbled up. But here's what I think we can all agree on. Jesus is coming back. Now when you go to 2 Peter and you look in chapter 3... And you start up. Oh, it's the top of the page, top of the right-hand page in my Bible. I think it's about verse eight. It says, "For the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. When Jesus comes back." The Bible tells us it's going to happen in a blink of an eye. And Jesus warned us that it was going to be like a thief in the night. And what did He mean when when He said a thief in the night? Here's what He meant, real simple. What thief ever calls you and tells you what time He's coming? Hey, I saw that you got a real nice boat in your garage and actually I know how to get through the little garage door opener. I've got this electronic thing that I figured out and so I'm going to come to your house at 9.30. When you see my car drive by three times, it's a red uh, truck, it's a red F-150 truck, here's the lights. When you see it drive by three times and you see me flash the lights, then I'm going to rob your house. Most of us would be waiting, watching for that truck on Monday night, whatever night he said. And we, when we saw that truck, we'd call 911, boom, the police would be there. And we'd, get, keep, our, we'd keep our boat and make sure he didn't get there. What thief is ever going to call you and tell you when he's coming? When Jesus said that he was coming as a thief in the night, therefore, watch that you may be ready. Here's what he's saying. There's not going to be a list of stuff that's going to happen that's going to warn you that I'm coming. But I am coming. And it's going to happen so fast that there's not going to be any time to prepare once I come. You've got to have that done before I get there. What if you knew today that Jesus Christ in the next 24 hours was coming. Would you change the way you live? Would you do certain things differently? Would you decide that watching that TV show is not near as important as calling your mom and talking to her and thanking her for what she's done for you all these years? Would you think about that co-worker at your office that you've been meaning to talk to about Christ but you haven't yet? And you know Jesus is coming back in 24 hours and you need to really get on the phone and talk to them or go over to their house, would you change the way you're living right now? If so, you're missing the point. Because you ought to be living right now in a way that when Jesus comes back, the Bible says He's going to appear a second time for joy to all those who love His appearing question you this afternoon is just simply, would it be exciting to you and thrilling and wonderful if Jesus came back now? And if not, do you need to change the way you're living so that that will be something that will be exciting to you so that you will love seeing Jesus come back? It's not something designed to make you afraid. In fact, it's designed so that, you know, when, when, when you give somebody a job and you come in, and you accidentally catch them doing that job, and they're doing a great job, and they didn't know you were coming, and maybe you're a, a parent, and you told your kid to sweep out the garage, and they've been sweeping for 30, 40 minutes, and you haven't checked on them, and then you open that door, and you see them just sweeping, working hard, and you go over to them. You know what you say when you see them? They're still at work 40 minutes after you assign them the job, and they're almost done. It's a terrific job they've done. You give him a big hug and you say, Reed, that was a terrific job. Man, you worked for 40 minutes on this. Thanks for working even when I wasn't watching. Great work. But when Jesus comes back and you're working hard in His kingdom, it's going to be just like a parent seeing their kid who has been working hard and he's going to say, Well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of your Lord. You worked while I was gone and you were ready. You know, we can cut through all of this stuff if we need to. But there's something that every one of us can agree on. And that's Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you ready? There's an old school song, Are You Ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? The point of Jesus' return is to take all the people who have been faithful, who are still working hard for Him, to rest. Do you need any rest from the work you've been doing for Jesus? Or are you trying to get all your rest here before you get there? Well, let's make sure that we're working for Christ. And when He comes, whether it's today, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's hundred years from now, where's a thousand years from now, we will love to see Him coming. If you're not a Christian, you need to be. You know, the keys of the kingdom were given to Peter. And they're still the same. Repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And the Lord will add you to the kingdom. And He'll translate you out of that kingdom of ours into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You can be translated into Christ's kingdom that was prophesied 3,500 years ago right now today. If you'll just obey the Gospel. Probably if you're in here, you've already heard the invitation this morning and probably most of you are Christians. But it might be you're not. It might be that the idea of Jesus' second coming scares you. Don't let it scare you. Do what you need to do so that it'll be an exciting, thrilling event for you. We're not going to stand up and sing maybe. Stand? What do you think, Bradley? Your call. Why don't we stand and sing? That would be good.